is Jeff Gober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Well, just yesterday, an unexpected opportunity allowed me to visit Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D at Disney's Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World. After over three decades, guests are still delighted with this show and laugh frequently at its memorable one-liners. We take the opportunity to deconstruct the film portion, theatrical portion of the experience, to understand how so many elements were combined to make this immersive experience. In the process, it was often referred to in marketing materials as Muppet Vision 4D, with the 3D letters crossed out. While this does contain some insights and spoilers, maybe so, but know that our conversation today will help you to appreciate this Walt Disney World attraction like never before. By the way, uh, while you have a chance, check out DisneyAtPlay.com, our post that goes along with this, uh, because we have a wonderful uh, uh, outline of all of the elements that combine to create this experience. And it's listed there, plus other uh, important things that you're gonna wanna check out. So make sure you're th- you visit that site and also subscribe while you're there so you're alerted to upcoming posts and podcasts as they come out. So what is the context for this experience? So as an understanding, my son loves, loves penguins. Therefore, he loves Muppet Vision 3D because there's a lot of penguins in that orchestra pit. He loves penguins so much that he carries a penguin around with him all the time. Even though he's almost 20, he carries a penguin with him to school, to um, any place that we go. Unfortunately, COVID has kept him from going very many places. Um, In fact, he really has not wanted to go out and visit the parks much. The only exception is having his mom take him to go see Celebration of the Festival of the Lion King at Disney's Animal Kingdom, and also the penguin exhibit at SeaWorld. He loves the penguin exhibit. So any rate, to give you a little context, uh, yesterday I was meeting up with Dave, David Zanola, who was driving down with his family, but not to Walt Disney World, but heading over to the Disney Cruise Line. However, because he was coming down from Chicago, he was cutting through Orlando. He had managed to get two um, books of the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. I ordered mine online and never did receive a copy of that book. So he offered to uh, bring me one of his copies. So we met at uh, Disney Springs. But to do that, I had to pick up my son from school and kind of go quickly out to that area because there wasn't a lot of time. Um, I was trying to bribe my son with Chick-fil-A or whatever it would take to... to, uh, to take him out there and he was he was a real good sport but i noticed as we were arriving at the speedway across from disney springs that he was playing muppet vision 3d in particular he was noting um images of the penguins well it was later in the afternoon and we met up with david and leah and their family and had a wonderful chance to connect real quick before they headed out to the cruise line i got back in the car And I turned to my son and I said, uh, hey, would you like to go see Muppet Vision 3D? Yes, Muppet Vision 3D. Well, by golly gee whiz, I finally had a chance to take him back to the park 
and the first time in two years he has been and since since last since uh we closed down in march and and that was just such a sweet experience uh, in fact i got to the gate and i realized i didn't have his ticket because it'd been so long and uh, we had to take care of that and there was a wonderful hostess that took care of that and we went down hollywood boulevard and cut over through echo lake and it was just a really wonderful opportunity in fact i have to also mention um as we were arriving at the theater we oh my goodness i think her name is avis i can't remember but a cast member who knew him from two years ago uh recognized him again said you're back i haven't seen you in so long and i explained well we hadn't been back in he had, my son had not been back in two years and she said well i had actually been over in toy story land i just this week returned back over to to the muppet area and i i said i which was just really terrific that we could reconnect after after two years hiatus at least um in that regard and then we went in and some other cast members noted his penguin and and gave him a special button celebrating him and his penguin and uh, we got ready to go in the show. And, you know, the show is located, the show was located in a plaza area that was next to New York Street or what became um, Streets of the World, I think, in the later years. In recent years, it's been made into Grand Avenue, which is an avenue in downtown Los Angeles. And that period of time is contemporary. It's basically the period of Jim Henson and Muppets. And so, actually, in, in many ways, the whole thematic experience kind of works a little better. And I'm not going to take the time to go into every little detail of Muppet Plaza, of Pizzarizzo, of all the elements there. Studio One, which was a gift shop that had some really cute Muppet themes in it and was sold a lot of Muppet merchandise. That is still closed. So uh, there is one element I have to tell you about and this just, I don't know if you've ever been in the backup line. Usually there's no line, you know, right, for Muppets. Um, but there, when lines back up, they have um, a queue that kind of winds to the side of the building and then to the back of the building. And along there, you'll see some posters that celebrate um, real and fictional Muppet movies that were or never were created. And they're, and they're humorous takes on things like star wars and so forth um but there is a set of pipes in the back and they are pipes for a utilitarian purpose and um they serve a purpose to support i believe the show building there and i'm not sure if you can even see them anymore because that area now has transitioned into a backstage area for galaxy's edge but those pipes i've got i'll put a picture on on the uh, post those pipes were painted with different faces on them and different images and uh, all done very Muppet style humorous. That, just so you know, that actually goes back to an event that occurred back in 1964 where Jim Henson and uh, there was somebody else with Jim at that time. It was Frank Oz, Don um, Salen and Jerry Jewell and they were going to appear on the Jack Parr show. This is this is before Carson. This is way back in time. And they were at this NBC Studios in Radio City Music Hall and they had a 10 a.m. rehearsal, but the show wasn't in, um, that they didn't need to be back on the set until 
4 p.m. later in that afternoon. This story comes, by the way, from Jim Henson, The Works, The Art, The Magic, and Imagination. And um, they um, they had nothing to do for all the hours that they were in this little um, uh, uh, costume or um, um, dressing room. And there was a utilities closet off of this dressing room. And they kind of explored and they saw all these different pipes in this utilities closet. And they happened to have paint for touching up the characters in case they needed to do it. Anyway, they took the paint and they painted all these pipes in this utility um, closet. And, um, and word got out that they were doing this kind of funny thing to the utilities closet. And people started pouring in. Eventually, Charlton Heston actually showed up in the hallway and wanted to see what the pipes looked like. And then Jack Parr heard of it. And he actually took a camera and had it recorded as part of the show. And this is just the craziness. But actually, and by the way, those pipes painted still exist in um, Radio City Music Hall. Um, in, in that utilities closet. You could still see it today if you know, have access and know where to look. But that's what those pipes represent. They go back to that moment at Radio City Music Hall, which is an interesting thing about, um, because it was tied to New York Street, I always felt that whole area was kind of, yeah, New York, you know. But I think it works with Grand Avenue, which is also Los Angeles. You have Hollywood, which is really um, the the uh, the 20s and 30s you have uh, the Sunset Boulevard which is really the 30s and 40s you have Echo Lake which really takes you into the 50s and then really um, Grand Avenue is really taking you into the present as part of the Los Angeles experience in Disney's Hollywood Studios so anyway more to I mean, again we could spend a whole podcast just dissecting Pizzorizzo's interior and other kinds of things in and around all of that. Maybe we'll do that another time. But um, and as well as what is kind of the um, the uh, closet before you go into the theater. This is the backstage area. The pre-show area is really kind of the prop backstage holding area for all the Muppets and for all of their props and everything. That's what you're stepping into once you've gone into the theater um, or once you once you step into the building. And, uh, and we could go through the pre-show. That's a funny, I mean, there is truly no funnier pre-show moment than, than Sam Eagle being introduced to Mickey Mouse. And um, which... I just think it's, it's just the whole pre-show is entertaining in and of itself. It's so well done. Our podcast today is going to focus just on the theater itself, the show itself, the movie itself, and what happens, not plot-wise. You could always go watch a video, but I want you to understand all the elements that contribute, what that are happening around you while you're wearing your 3D glasses. First of all, in building in this recipe for a 3D Muppet show, you you start with a theater, and not just a theater, but a theater that's designed to look like the Muppet Show. The Muppet Show was a long-running show in the 70s, very popular, and it was supposedly the stage where the Muppets would appear. And this theater represents that place where the Muppets would appear. And there's and it's ornate and detailed and very refined looking, although you kind of look in the back and you see a bell and yowl projector, which it coordinates to a bell and howl 
uh, projector, which is, was type of film projector back in the day. Anybody my age knew about Bell and Hal projectors if you were in school. Um, at any rate, we have this theater and we have all these seats. And then we have a 3D movie with scores of Muppet performers. And I don't know that we really appreciate all the detail. I think most people who listen to this podcast probably know that this was Jim Henson's last major project. Indeed, this is the last time he ever um, pl played the part of Kermit the Frog. Was this, um, was the making of this a 3D film? And being that it's a 3D film, there's a lot of effort that goes into creating a film that is going to work in a 3D setting. For instance, if you'll recall that in the film, um, Sweetums, the big kind of monster looking guy, kind of guy, has got a paddle, paddle ball and he's playing paddle ball. And the effect is quite cool because you see this ball kind of like going out into the audience. To make that work, to make that work, you have to paddle the ball to a specific place to get that feeling that it's truly going out into the audience. You've got your camera's position and you have to hit that ball. So it was actually um, Jim Henson's son who played that character. Um, what was his name? John Henson. He actually played that character and he said he actually worked for months or uh, for a period of time trying to get that ball to to work to play if you've ever played paddle ball you know it doesn't come uh, naturally it's a pretty involved little activity there any rate uh he practiced but they said when i put on the costume and all of that it was totally different you couldn't see out of it well enough but fortunately in the first take that that was captured and captured beautifully uh so that's one, just one of the things, again, you have scores of Muppets all performing. You have lots of different sets. I won't even go into all the details of the making of the film portion. I'm just talking about the theatrical experience itself. And it begins with that 3D movie and all of those performers and all that music and all that's happening. Um, also laid on top of this 3D movie is the first 3D character are um uh and and that is waldo who is admittedly kind of an obnoxious character you re i think if anything kind of dates the film it's waldo and so i'm not i've never been really a big fan of that aspect of the show but you have to appreciate uh what waldo represented back here in you know when this film first premiered 30 years ago when this was long before pixar toy story and and dinosaurs on jurassic park and lots of um computer generated imagery this was very early on and in fact and one of the things i did not understand either as i thought it was a rendered character but it's actually a puppet that is rendered so very, and let me just, again, from the uh, Jim Henson, the works, the Art and Magic Imagination book, let me just read a paragraph of what was involved in this. 
It was Waldo who was the ultimate expression of technology, manipulated in real time by a performer using a glove-like servo mechanism. Waldo was a puppet set free from normal puppetry constraints, a puppet who lived inside the cathode ray tube. Operating Waldo was a natural extension of the kind of video puppeteering that the Muppets had practiced to begin with, in which the characters reacted to each other on screen rather than in reality. A basic system for doing this was devised by programmer Lance Williams. Jim then took the idea to several computer graphic companies and eventually selected Pacific Data Images to help refine the definitive Waldo designed by Kirk Thatcher. To perform Waldo, puppeteer Steve Whitmire wears an electronic glove that is connected to the computer that generates Waldo's image in wireframe form on the screen. The performance is recorded by the computer, which then adds the color, texture, and detail of the total Waldo. Waldo is nothing less than the world's first digitized puppet, a character who can be performed by a puppeteer using a remote control rig, but who comes to life via computer and a color monitor. Waldo is, in other words, a computer-generated image that can be manipulated by a puppeteer much as the figures in a Nintendo game are manipulated with a joystick. This enables the puppet to operate in real time and to interact with other real Muppets. In a sense, Waldo is a manifestation of the approach pup to puppetry Jim Henson embraced back in the 50s. For Jim, the reality on screen was the only one that mattered, and Waldo, created on screen, was the embodiment of that philosophy. So, again, not my favorite part of the show, but when you realize how pioneering adding Waldo was uh, during that time, uh, it is an impressive feat uh, for, for that era. Probably we all thought back 30 years ago, oh, this is animated, hand-drawn. Then we've all kind of assumed later it was just simply computer graphic uh, animated, but it's actually a puppet, um, computer graphic um, enhanced. Uh, by the way, there's also one live performer. Sweetums, again, comes out to kind of help find Bunny and to help put out the fire later on in the orchestra. Nothing would want to be cut from a film quicker by Disney operations than the hassle of having a live performer. I've been backstage, lots of Sweetums costumes waiting all for performers to utilize later on. And uh, in truth, um, this is this is an add-on expense to the show, but it they've designed it so it can't be cut out, and it's a great piece in the show. For one live performer, there are actually 19, count them, 19 plus kind of animatronics. Let me explain. The first big group of animatronics is my son's favorite, the orchestra of 11 penguins with one conductor. And they play at the beginning as the show starts and then come back in and out and then eventually come back for the finale piece where they play a big role. One of the things I love, if you have not noticed, I generally will tell guests, sit in about three quarters back 
for a good 3D show. It 3D works better from the back, not the front. That's not the case for my son who wants the front right seat, which is the worst seat for 3D. But although amazingly, the elements actually do kind of work pretty good, better than they work for Fantasmic, which is the same seat he wants also to sit in the very uh, front right. But at any rate, the, the first violinist, that, yeah, there is a first violinist for this orchestra, it actually comes up and he plays the little B part that happens during Miss Piggy's song. And he has a little solo piece and he's kind of highlighted um, as, as she is singing this piece. You don't notice because you're too busy watching um, Bunny give, give, um, give uh, Miss Piggy a hard time. But, uh, but there's emf extra emphasis in, on the uh, first violinist in the orchestra. The other thing too is that these are not the only penguins the 11 plus one conductor making 12, there are two other penguins. Only their job is to operate the cannon. They come out with um, kind of like um, aviator helmets on, uh, old, old time aviator helmets on, and they are they come up with their cannon ready to fire back at the Swedish chef. So that's, um, and, uh, and we'll talk about the cannons in a minute. The Swedish chef is another animatronic. He's back in the projection booth and he makes his appearance. And then, of course, we have Statler and Waldorf there in one of the um, um, uh, one of the. Uh, uh, um, oh, my goodness. Why am I not remembering it? the booths up in the up on the side of the stage? Now, what's interesting about um, Statler and Waldorf is as everything comes down, they actually duck. And then what you see um, as the smoke is clearing is they have, their hands are waving with two white flags saying, we surrender, we surrender, we surrender. That's actually a separate animatronic unit. That's not part of the animatronic unit you see throughout most of the show. The, you, the Those units duck down another is a set of hands, two pairs of hands that come up waving the flags during that. Told you there'd be a couple of spoilers here. Um, the same thing could be said on the opposite side where we find Bunny. You'll recall that they're searching for Bunny and they find her up there in the box. And she is, and Bunny is up there and agrees to help out with the fireworks. So then Bunny goes away. The fireworks, a glorious three-hour finale, you have two minutes. That begins and Bunny reemerges. If you notice carefully, there are two seats. Of course, they don't sit in seats, but there are two seats. When you see Bunny the first time, she is in the seat that is to the left or to Bunny's right. When she, when Bunny emerges the second time, I say she, I, 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 don't, I don't know, I think it's a he actually. But he, when Bunny emerges the second time, he's actually on your right or bunny's left and this time bunny has a contraption for actually pushing down and igniting the fireworks so that's actually two separate animatronics that are used all of which creates 19 unless you count the two flag waving hands which would actually make it more like 21 but that's a for a 3d movie you don't expect so many animatronics so it's a very cool thing my favorite during the finale is the exploding wall screens 
scrims, I'm sorry, the exploding wall scrims. When the final explosion comes back from um, the Swedish chef and he blows out the back wall, the smoke goes and blows, and it, it seems to have actually removed the walls and you now see brickwork behind there. This is, this is really well done. Um, and by the way, you'll notice that there are fiber optics in the walls that kind of suggest like, like uh, electrical wire that's kind of cutting out. You also notice those fiber optics on the cannons as well. And so you have um, um, all of those. Um, then, um, and, and I love those because they use a scrim that basically is a very... And, it, and the scrim is the same kind of principle they use in the carousel of progress on both the left and right sides of the stages um, during the first three main scenes, the spring, uh, summer, and fall scenes. And you'll see when you look at those that they're kind of stretched. It's a kind of a cheesecloth um, or muslin kind of material, and it's stretched. These are much better done they stay very stationary they don't look stretched and yet they look like they are legitimate walls when you step into the theater at the beginning you're not expecting the walls to explode those are impressive impressive with that comes smoke coming out of those exploded walls uh, smoke also comes out of the cannon orchestra pit particularly as the penguins are firing away and it comes out of the projection booth as the swedish chef is firing away there is a fourth place it comes it comes out of what is stage right stage right is always to the actor's right it comes out in the middle of the uh, proscenium on the far stage right and that happens at two different points one is uh one is where um the um waldo becomes a taxi and I want to say it, he becomes a different car in another scene, but he blows smoke as he heads out in both of those instances. Of course, we know about the water effects, don't we? Um, the water comes down as, um, as uh, a trick is tried on us. And then we have bubbles being blown uh, during the Miss Piggy scene. And those come probably another good reason why you kind of want to be a little, little bit further back because I think you get some of these effects a little better than if you sit on the sides or in the very front um, of the show. Uh, you also have a scene where the entire scene is being sucked up by a huge vacuum. What's happening there is you have fans that are being blown behind you and you get the sense of the wind being pushed out. And that's happening in the vacuum sucking scene. Again, you have to be in the right part for the fans to be working very well. Add to that stage lighting and projections throughout, for instance, when they blow up Waldo, he becomes many Waldos on the screen, but he also becomes an infinite number of Waldos all over the walls of the theater and dancing around and moving around and so forth. In the middle of the ending scene, you have all oh, these terrific fire optics of... Uh, um, um, that uh, fiber optics, I'm sorry, I said fiber, fire optics, uh, four panels of fiber optics, which appear above on the, on the ceiling, uh, just above the proscenium. 
that's part of the fireworks scene and they're beautifully displayed. It's very similar to the fiber optic experience you get when you are in Mexico and going th through the last part of the um, Mexico City scene and you see all the fireworks. Only these have been put behind a panel so you don't see them hanging or dangling, so to speak, from the uh, wall or from the ceiling. So there are four fiber optic panels, each with a ray of fireworks. Then something that a lot of people never notice. Now you see how many different props, something that didn't have to be added to it, but it's it's kind of like that, that moment uh, that is just unique. There are four arrows which hit the box where Statler and Waldorf are and where, Rab, uh, where Bunny is. And they just, boom, hit. Now, in the on the film, you actually see someone with the bow and arrow, and he pulls the bow and arrow, and that's how those, those arrows, technically, that's when the arrows come out. And it's really cool. If you want to hang, hang around until everybody's finally left, you'll see the arrows being sucked back into the, into the booths or the stage boxes um, for the next show. So four arrows, um, again, uh, two other things that uh, are a part of the show experience. You're wearing 3D glasses and there are thousands of 3D glasses needed, not only for that, but for other shows like It's Tough to Be a Bug or for the Pixar shorts uh, over at Epcot um, because, and of course, Mickey's Filler Magic. So each, each park having its own 3D show, it's necessary that we of course have a way to clean 3D glasses. And how do you do that? Well, in what seems to be um, something made by the Muppets as well, there is behind Journey to Imagination. Remember they were the first to really do the 3D film with Magic Journeys way back. So they had to have this process in play years ago and they have this um, kind of rolling set of um, racks where you set um, the glasses on the back on trays and line them up and then you set them through this um, steam cleaner similar to what you would find in an industrial kitchen it doesn't it 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 really serves to sanitize the 3d glasses and gets them back into place and then there and then there those um those racks are stacked up and they're sent back over to the parks so that you can have uh, a clean set of 3d glasses the last thing i want to mention um that is kind of gone not been around for a while you'll recall that at the very very end scene when the explosion occurs and the swedish chef has shot his cannon through the wall well, what do you find behind the wall but a bunch of Disney tourists and, well, Disney fire truck coming in to save the day. Kermit is sitting on the on the ladder. It's a great little 3D look to him as he comes in and sticks out on he sticks out on the ladder. But what was made that even cooler is is when you exited the attraction for many years, you would see the fire truck sitting there. Um, outside the car, the actual one used in filming was actually then pushed or brought over to uh, Muppet Vision 3D. And so, again, I, I can't emphasize how many very cool 
things happen just within the show. And again, we'll have to spend another day going through stage one and Pizzerizzo and the, the, the courtyard, love the fountain with Miss Piggy, which again, I, I think she's in her, um, I think she's in her uh, Statue of Liberty outfit, which kind of gives that New York vibe thing going back to New York streets. But anyway, it's still a great little area, great place to just find a chair and relax during a busy day at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And of course, the show itself. I know I have gone through my period. Um, it, it Every every attraction kind of goes through what's referred to as its shadow period where it's no longer the hit uh, attraction it once was. It's kind of fallen out of favor. Everybody's been there, done that. I think it's come out of it, that shadow period and reemerged still as a wonderful show that is so worthy of, of watching. I know I've gone through my years where I just sat and took a nap, but I would invite you to come with open eyes. Look for the arrows, look for different bunnies, look for um, uh, all of, look for the uh, lead violinist in the penguin section. There's so many things to be seen during that uh, 3D show that it's really worth taking the time to watch. And, and that's some, saying something because there are a lot of really great things to see at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Well, that wraps it up for us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being part of this podcast. Please share it with others. In fact, if you get a chance, go to iTunes. A favorable rating or review does so much to help others know about the uh, the, the smallest podcast that could, so to speak. Um, also check out on DisneyAtPlay.com in the post that we have where we listed all these things that you see during Muppet 3D. Be sure that you have a chance to uh, check out the Wayfinder Society, which is our Patreon group. For as little as a dollar, you get introduced into an interactive world of very cool, insightful, you know, you probably learned something new today from a show you have seen a billion times. Well, wait till we talk about Pandora. Wait till we talk about Pirates of the Caribbean and so many other attractions. Little things you didn't know. And you can be a part of that while supporting this podcast. So please check that out. Again, thank you for your patronage. And finally, in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We will see you real soon.